crisis. Practical wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Michael Stratton, he is the guest today on the program. We were just discussing that we're both, I think, probably a little geeky. We have He has baby Yoda in the background, and I have R2-D2 in the background. And so, you know, it's going to be a good conversation, sir. How are you? Absolutely. Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. Tell our listeners about you. I, I'm, I'm going to call you the, the pandemic leader. I think you took on two significant leadership roles uh, during the pandemic. You just can't get enough. Are you going, is there a third in the works right now? <laughs> uh, a third disaster? No. <laughs> No, leadership no. role another context you're leading an association a, a, a school of business right and maybe there's another place for you to lead as well the, the, through the through the pandemic no no i said no to the presidency so <laughs> i just i decided not to run this this go around so yeah as you said i'm president of the management organizational behavior teaching society mobts.org um, in my second year of leading that organization, in my fifth month as uh, dean of the J. Whitney Bunting College of Business at Georgia College and State University, I think that if there's anything to say about me, I'm, I'm ambitious and impatient at the same time. And so I, about MOBTS, I've been part of that organization since I was a doctoral student. Um, uh, my first conference is in 2005. It's an organization that is, whose mission is really geared toward enhancing the quality of teaching and learning in management organization studies. And it's in its 47th year, I believe. It's yeah. been really impactful in my career, but also the career of many of our colleagues in business and, and public and nonprofit management as educators. Um, it's near and dear to my heart. And um, I've been on the board since 2010. 12. I was a faculty member at University of North Carolina, Asheville for 10 years. And when I was a junior faculty, um, uh, I volunteered to help host our 40th anniversary conference. Of I, th that's, I think that was my first. I, I checked in and I found then I found myself in a residence hall, a, a dorm yes. room, right? Yes, absolutely. But I ended up having just a wonderful experience. And I think I've probably been to five or six since then. But yeah, that yeah, was my first one. That was my first we, conference. We jokingly call it summer camp for professors. Um, <laughs> it's a three-day conference in June on a campus. Um, we've held it everywhere from Stanford and Harvard to, uh, well, we were supposed to host this past June at Purdue Fort Wayne. Yeah. Um, but but that did not happen. Um, we had a virtual conference. But it's been, it's, it's an incredible organization. Service on the board has been, I think, probably the most meaningful service I've done in academia, um, even taking into account leadership roles at UNC Asheville and, and obviously now here at Georgia College, I think being on the board at MOBTS, you really see that you really do see the impact of of what we do at the conference and in our journals, journal management education and the management teaching review 
um, really the 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 hands-on engagement with the faculty to help them be better teacher scholars. Um, and that's kind of how I, I've approached my work with faculty, both when I was at Asheville and here at Asheville as uh, chair of faculty senate for two years and then chair and, and unit head for our department of management accountancy there. I still use the word hour when I talk about UNC Asheville. <laughs> um, being there for about a decade, I, I suppose I'll, I'll, I'll always have a part of me there. But even here, I mean, I, I, I kind of view the role of a leader in MOBTS or that as a dean or a chair or provost or president is, is really making sure that if if your focus is student-centered and you want your students to succeed and you want to advance the institution at the core of it you really have to help your faculty you have to advocate for your faculty and staff i i'm always reminded when i um i guess before the pandemic i was flying a lot to conferences and, and meetings and you know you, you listen to the flight attendants who say you know before you put your oxygen mask you know, on your child or the person next to you, make sure to put it on yourself first. <laughs> yes. And I think that's the case, you know, before we can really support our students and ensure that they have a path forward, we really have to make sure our faculty have that oxygen mask. Our faculty have to be taken care of. Uh, they're on the front lines of, of, of educating our students. And if we if we do not take care of them, they cannot take care of our students. And so I take, I think that's the case even, you know, with MOBTS, we see as educators coming to us for a space to, to talk, to listen, to share ideas, um, to develop. We have to remind them about taking care of themselves and taking care of their colleagues so that they can help their students. Talk a little bit about that. I, I would love to hear a little bit more about the kind of your approach. And it could just be, Michael, your insights on transitioning into this new role as as dean of the college of business i love that take care of them so that they can take care of others are there any other mantras or principles you've kind of lived by as you've entered into that role because you're literally what three months four months five months in i'm yeah the first two months i was counting the days down i'm not going to say math got difficult after that but um <laughs> but there was no no yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah no uh no, I, I'd say, I mean, I think anybody, well, I'm not going to say everyone, but I think my path in academia was such that if you asked me 10 years ago where I would have been now, it wouldn't have been in an academic leadership position. And I think if you asked myself, if you asked me 20 years ago where I'd be, um, you know, had just started graduate school. Yeah. Um, and I was in a master's in public administration program, thinking I was going to be a public servant and, and working in the federal government and working my way up. I think similar to what happened in, in graduate school has happened in, in my career in academia, I've kind of just fallen into these these roles. Part of it is ambition, but part of it is is I, I really do like taking taking risks. And you know, when I was a, a doctoral student, and I like I said, I literally just fell into that program. I was a semester into my master's program, and one of my faculty said, You really should think about the PhD program. And being a first-generation college student growing up a working class family in the mountains of Maine, I never, going to college itself was, was a stretch, um, a stretch and, and going to graduate school at a top university. And then being, be, be, you know, even, even the idea of joining a doctoral program, I, I had an undergraduate professor, Bill Ferris, who's part of MOBTS for years, who introduced me to the organization when I was a graduate student. He said that to me when I was an undergrad and I just, <laughs> I just laughed and I said, yeah, no. And plus, you know, you're an undergrad, you're a senior, you're exhausted, right? You've been going to school your whole life. Even though I love school, 
It's like, I need a break. You know, I, I just kind of fell into my doctoral program in my second semester. I started the PhD program and, and I remember talking with another mentor, my dissertation advisor, Sue Fairman, who um, also Sue and Bill Ferris, they both introduced me to MOBTS when I was a PhD student, but I was working on my dissertation and, and we went to lunch and we had like a progress meeting, you know, about yeah, where I was yeah. and everything. And she said to me, she said, look, you're teaching as a graduate student, you're doing all of this service. You're the academic advisor for the undergraduate public administration policy program. You're the internship advisor. You're the, she said, and you're, you're helping, you know, with a reaccreditation. And she said, you're, you know, service is not going to write your dissertation. <laughs> and so I think for early on in, in, in academia, I really was interested in background and the work of, of, of a higher education institution. And maybe because my area is organizational theory and behavior, that could yeah. be part of it. But, yeah. and so when I took my first academic position after, after my doctoral program, it was at a small school in Maryland, Hood College, and assistant professor on the tenure track. And nine months in, the provost asked me to be the director of the MBA program. Wow. And it was a small private, small MBA program in, in Maryland. And that's when I got my first taste for academic leadership and, and, and curriculum leadership and program development and, and understanding the ins and outs of managing you know, faculty and adjunct recruitment and all of that. And, and I enjoyed it. I still love teaching. I still love research. And the problem was, is I, I loved it all. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I was reappointed and then I, I went on the market again and found myself at UNC Asheville's Public Liberal Arts University in the UNC system. And and I've, I'm really been, liberal arts has been kind of part of my identity for a long time. And, you know, I jumped into my research again, into my teaching, undergraduate research mentoring, which is a core value at UNC Asheville. And, you know, circumstances change. Um, after about four years, you know, the, the chancellor, we have a uh, UNCE system has chancellors as university presidents. And chancellor announced retirement, provost announced retirement. There was some transition in, in the department leadership. I got tenure early, and then a couple of weeks later, the provost, the outgoing provost, announced, you know, appointed me as as chair and accreditation unit head um, yes. for our department, and it just kept going. <laughs> and you know, I just and again, then you led the fact you led the faculty senate. Yeah, for two yeah. years, which is, you know, I, I, I had a three-year stint on Senate. I started on Senate as a junior faculty member. One of my faculty mentors said, you know, you really are a supporter of our mission and our public liberal arts identity. Yeah. One of the things at Asheville was was really impactful in my experience is we had a shared humanities program, a four-course sequence. And it was, it was a multi-interdisciplinary effort so that music faculty, sociologists, psychologists, biologists, and a management professor could teach a, yeah. a humanities capstone course yep. on po you know post World War II to today everything from gender identity poverty globalization environmental sustainability and and we all kind of came at it from our particular disciplinary lens and I just I mean this was the most engaging experience since graduate school yeah. and sitting in a room full of folks from different disciplines debating discussing identifying shared readings so um, cool. And and then my second year teaching in that program, I ended up leading the, the the senior capstone humanities course. And so I think folks saw that you know I really did eat and breathe and drink the the Kool Aid around yeah. 
the public arts. And so I started working on faculty senate. And that is that was my first real experience with shared governance. It was, I mean, as a junior faculty, I often just sat back and watched and listened to my senior <laughs> colleagues and going through transition and provosts and you know, then a then a chancellor search, um, second chancellor while I was at Asheville. And then, you know, I took I took about a year off from being faculty senator once my my term was over. You know, I was asked to go back on again and then asked to to run for the, the chair position. And I mean, it was so eye-opening to be chair of faculty senate when you know when we're going through such trend another transition. Yeah, another yeah. chancellor search, a new provost search. And what, are two, what are two or three observations about that role leading in that context? You have no formal authority. It's all influence. When I was at Asheville, I developed a seminar course on organizational politics and power, really influenced by, you know, the work of Jeff Effer and, and, and others. And I saw it in action and I, you know, I, I, I fumbled, I tripped, I was really taking what we've learned in graduate school and in our in our research and work and, and and implementing it. And I have to tell you, it was for me, it was about relationships and authenticity and really showing that, you know, when I when I talk about shared governance, it was not those weren't empty words. Yeah. And so part of that was ensuring that the faculty understood that this was, we were coming from, it wasn't a fair, it wasn't antagonistic relationship between the administration and faculty in that transition, but it was definitely one. We went from one chancellor to another and the second chancellor was only there for about two or three years. And so in my first year as Senate chair, and, and I think there was opportunity for us to reaffirm our commitment to basically being at the table that faculty are at the table when decisions are made. Yeah. As as we search for our new chancellor, I made that very clear. I was on the chancellor search committee and and so and there were a couple of other senators as well. And so I think we we made it known to the candidates that this was our expectation. And so building relationships with our administration colleagues was really critical in that role. Yep. And demonstrating that okay if if we want to open the book, so to so to speak, and and ensure that the faculty are and students and staff are at the table when it comes to budget and finance decisions, how do we make that happen? Yeah. And and not letting it go, not saying, yep, yeah, we're going to do this and not bring it up again. Yeah. Um. And so so I think part of this was was authentically owning your words and following through. Yeah. And I think I also learned about crisis management. That first year for for Nancy Cable, our, our our current chancellor uh, at the time, um, that was brought in, I uh, was in my second year as, as Senate chair. You know, there there was just every month a new, okay. not pandemic level crisis, obviously, yeah. um, but it That's was lovely. either financial or enrollment or system level politics or past decisions that were made in a vacuum and now coming back, you know, into the media. And so I learned a lot from that chancellor who really became a mentor to me. Those are some some lessons learned during that experience. And I think that shaped really how I began to think about my future in higher education. Okay. Um, I saw, you know, leading an academic unit, leading a faculty Senate part, and while at that time also on the MOBTS board, how really critical kind of being persistent 
and picking your battles, knowing how important compromise is yeah, and listening, quote, to the other side and recognizing that the other side isn't the other side, that you're just you're there together. Yeah. You just might not agree. And where can you find common ground? And I've I've taken that, you know, even into my to my current role. So it's I imagine, been really influential. Well, I imagine relationships have been critical and compromise and everything that you've just said. But what do you see the future as? How do we as institutions continue to thrive based on the seat that you're sitting in? What's that recipe? Well, I think both for MOBTS as an organization, as a nonprofit, you know, and as a higher education institution that is serving, you know, management educators in an environment that there are not necessarily competing organizations, but an environment of other higher education nonprofits, right, to support faculty development, scholarly endeavors. MOBTS is faced with this very similar situation as, as higher education units, such as colleges of business. And I think there's actually very similar paths moving forward. And that is kind of removing ourselves from our respective silos and partnering with other entities. Mm. And so in MOBTS, one of um, kind of the, the the central vision for MOBTS when I came on board was, and this was, you know, the board affirmed this, this kind of audacious vision, which is really expanding the reach of the organization, you know, taking the Kool-Aid that we serve and giving it to others and exposing them to the magic of the organization. Yeah. And so We've done that globally. We have an Oceana conference that's virtual this this um, this winter or their summer, and that was after an international conference in New Zealand a year ago, January February. That was just full of energy. Folks who hadn't, you know, who had participated in our journals in a variety of ways of, of as authors or reviewers, but or as associate editors, but hadn't hadn't been to our um, annual conference in the U.S. and and so we saw that as a real opening. We we create we we have a new partnership with University of Surrey in England for their uh, management education certificate program. So MOBTS will be a partner with them and and facilitating their their workshops and and their certificate program and creating a pipeline of new educators or even seasoned educators that want to be master teachers, so to speak. You know, we've announced our 22, 2022 conference in Mannheim, Germany. Um, we are now an affiliate, a nonprofit affiliate with AACSB, created a relationship with them. And Brandon Sharpeet, our executive director, and I have worked really hard on behalf of the board to pre-pandemic to, to really do the face-to-face outreach with deans and others who make decisions about faculty resources. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so I think partnerships are critical and kind of getting outside of your silo, the MOBTS silo, only speaking, you know, you were on the board briefly and we used to talk about being East Coast centric. You know, most of our members, when you do kind of a geocode analysis, they mostly come from the East because a lot of the history in the organization is from the East. Breaking from that mold and really attracting community college educators, online faculty. Our mission is not narrowed to smaller private or regional public comprehensives. It is really all management educators. And I think that's the case too in say a college of business. Yeah. Um, one of the things that attracted me to Georgia College is that it is the public of arts university of the Georgia system. Yeah. And it's a member of the Cal uh the 
uh, Council of Public Arts Colleges, COPLAC. And I knew Georgia College very well and its reputation and its um, very focused, very focused mission on rigor and experiential learning and transformative experiences and of being a residential institution. One of the things I observed in, in my research and talking with the search firm and initial conversations with folks here is that the College of Business was, for the most part, fairly alienated and isolated. Uh-huh. Even though we're on the main campus, I'm looking outside at you know, the columns of the building out on the front quad area, the, the front lawn, as they call it. So we're, we're centrally located, yet the relationships know, didn't exist. Relationships didn't exist uh, for yeah. the most part. I think on the margins they did. You know, what I did at Asheville was to, I always used to say at Asheville, you know, management and the study of organizations is a liberal art. Yeah. To say that we aren't just, you know, then you question, well, what is a, what is the liberal arts, right? What, well, it's, it's really understanding, you know, the complexity of the human existence, yeah. And <laughs> organizations are social phenomena. And in this and building called Google or in this building. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and we if if we don't not just expose our students to history, philosophy, language, the sciences, but if we actually collaborate as faculty across disciplines, team teaching, co-developing courses, cross-listing courses, cluster hiring, joint appointments, you name it developing curricula across disciplines and across, you know, I remember once talking, and this was years ago with NAACSB and AACSB has made a real transformational shift with their new standards, but it used to be, Oh, multi and interdisciplinarity used to be marketing professors talking to accounting professors. That's not what I'm talking about. And I really was exposed to that in my undergraduate experience at Western New England college now university, which when I was there, it was this much smaller um, private liberal arts university. And no, it's, 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 it's about management students, you know, reading Moby Dick. It's mm. about management students reading, you know, the Lord of the Flies in an yeah. intro course and principles of management or something. You know, when I came here, I think one of the reasons I, you know, was offered and, and made the decision to leave Asheville to come here was that I saw this real opportunity of peeling away at the onion and getting down and dirty and making the case for this unit, the College of Business, being a critical part of the liberal arts identity. Mm. And that means having conversations with my dean colleagues about ways we can collaborate yep. and creating a space for the faculty to talk with other faculty. We're doing something right now where we're having conversations between the computer science, which is in the college of business, computer finance faculty and the math faculty about developing an, a joint program in data science. Yep. And what's fascinating is, we're at the table, virtual table, talking about this, and everybody's excited. There's no turf issues at play. Uh, we're focused on the students, focused on resources, not generate resources, but how to share resources. And yet we all look at each other. How are you going to make this happen? This has never been done here. This yeah. is, the, you know, we don't even have the structure to make this happen. Yeah. And that's what excited me here. And it's the same thing. We, we are in talks early um, within the College of Business, uh, a diversity inclusivity certificate in business, undergraduate certificate that would really involve courses in sociology and philosophy. Yep. Um, I mean, there's there's so much more, but, but you know, it's part of this is making the case to the faculty, you know, that we can do this. We should yep. be doing this. Yep. 
And I remind them that I don't have a business school pedigree. They hired I'm my master's and PhDs in public administration policy. My area was work behavior and theory, but I don't come from a business school background. <laughs> and so I, I just kind of say to them, you, you, you got what you got now, yeah, you know, this yeah. is this. And, and, and then I, I was very authentic in who I was when I interviewed it. It's not like I'm going to come in and then all of a sudden switch, you know, um, but I've learned the lesson of listening to the faculty outside of my disciplinary area of expertise and how important that is. I don't, yeah. I'm not an accountant. You know, I was, yeah. I was chair and unit head for management accounting department. for That's six right, years. You were. Those, yeah. those accounting faculty bless their heart as they say in the South, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they, they put up with me and they taught me. And I, I remember meeting with firms and graduate programs in accounting and just going, asking all these questions. And so I think here and at MOBTS, going back to your question, it is about really um, getting outside of your silo and collaborating. And here at Georgia College, I think the the opportunities are endless, not just collaborating within the university, but collaborating within the system. How do we look at potential, you know, three plus three programs with, with a bachelor's of science in business and a, a JD program at another yep. university? I, Again, and not only partnerships in higher education institutions, but partnerships with you know, local you know, business oh, yeah. and nonprofit organizations. I mean, higher education cannot survive in its silo as a unit, as an institution, or in their, their ecosystem. Ecosystems are going to have to come together and merge. I'm not afraid of it. I don't think any discipline has a, there's no discipline that I know of that has a monopoly on the complexities of the human existence. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't, you know, that was if, really if, cool. <laughs> you know, if, if economists, you know, think that they know everything about, um, you know, decision-making. Yeah. Then they should talk to psychologists and exactly. the psychologists and then the sociologists and then, and then they're sociologists. And, yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe that's why I love, yeah. Uh, the field of organizational behavior and theory, these, these yep. micro and macro studies of organizations and, and work inside and, 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 and humans, because it is so multi and interdisciplinary. That's I, and so for me to talk with, you know, somebody who's kind of taken it and, and what PhD programs, they narrowly train you. <laughs> well, so I, it, it, I love how you're thinking this fall. I had, I, I kind of put together a series for my institution and and the first speaker was a gentleman named David Sinclair. So David Sinclair is at Harvard. He's a geneticist and he's trying to cure death. So I partnered with some folks in our chemistry department and in our biology department. And, and then, of course, we had business students at this meeting as well. And I think some of the faculty at first blush were thinking, well, why, why in the world would a leadership educator bring in a person who's trying to cure death a geneticist from Harvard. Well, when you start really peeling back, how does that change organizational life? What does that mean for society? What business opportunities present themselves if this gentleman is successful and we extend the human health span and lifespan another 30 years? What does that look like? All kinds of things shift and change. Absolutely. So I, I love that because I think it just even even my area of, of, of focus, which is leadership, I mean, you can look at it through the lens of biology, you can look at it through the lens of history, political science, sociology, psychology. I mean, you're exactly right. It's rooted in all of that work, right? Mm -hmm. So I couldn't agree Absolutely. more. And I also agree, I, I can't agree with you more that that I think 
the, the strength will be in those relationships and those, those collaborations, because I, I don't know that any one institution, of course, there's a few out there, but the strength is going to be in those relationships and that web, that network that's created, not only on campus with the relationships among faculty, but also, like you said, in the community or within the, the system within within Georgia. Well, and I think, it, it, you know, if you read about mergers and acquisitions in higher education, it's painful. Yeah. It's disruptive, um, whether it's privates coming together or kind of forced upon mergers within public systems. I think they're the challenge facing presidents and provosts in the next three to five years will to be proactively create those relationships yes. Yes. and partnerships and demonstrate the added value for your yep. institution to have those. And rather than it being forced upon you by a board or, you know, in the private or, or public sector, um, I think that's, that's the real challenge. And, but I, th- I think it's a tremendous opportunity and you've seen, there are examples of that in the Northwest with Willimantic um, University, a smaller uh, liberal arts uh, college partnering with another. Um, and I think there's been some examples in Massachusetts as well at the private mm-hmm. level. Um, I don't, I don't, I have examples in the, in the public sector of that being proactively done. Typically that's often brought about by uh, boards yeah. of governors or boards of regents, but yeah, I think, I think that opportunity exists. And I, for MOBTS, that's for us to survive as an organization, as a nonprofit, really dependent upon our members as a 47, 48 year old organization, we need to recruit the next generation of management educators and we need to retain them and show them how important our organization is and their development as teacher scholars. And we shouldn't just be focusing on such a small pool of, of management educators. Yeah. And, and you look at the research that's being written by scholars around the world, there's, there's, an ample space for us to share our opportunity. And I'm, I'm thrilled by the fact that the board, the current, current and most recent boards really kind of embrace this idea of expanding, expanding our reach. Excited to see where that, where that goes forward, but I will not be, we have an election this year for president elect. If you're huh. interested, Scott, just <laughs> if, you want, if you want to take all that leadership theory and put it into practice, my friend, uh, we, we from, from, secretary, from secretary from secretary to secretary elect huh hey, yeah. hey you never know <laughs> just saying i'll never saying. forget that first meeting when i actually just took notes right everyone was like what you're taking the notes right now i can't even <laughs> believe this you're blowing my mind <laughs> the laptop yeah, I, i'm the secretary right that's what i do correct oh, no. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and you help the president keep on track. So that's important. <laughs> so, Michael Stratton, I always close down these conversations. What I real quick, I I heard in that that dialogue a couple themes for me that stood out. Obviously, the importance of of relationships. Obviously, the importance of collaboration, and and I think it's it's through those two fundamental foundational components that that there is strength. There's strength because of. Uh, the trust that's built and that social capital and that glue that exists. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, there's also strength in numbers, so to speak in that uh, and, and synergy in different perspectives and in how these different parties can both benefit from absolutely collaborations. So uh, thank you for that. I, I really, really appreciate that because I think there's two, those are two very, very important 
fundamental components where if you have a leader that has invested in both of those over the last decade, over the last five years, or is just starting out like you and, and doing so, that's probably two pretty solid places to begin mm -hmm. to help navigate all of the complexity that's occurring, whether that's digital disruption, COVID, whether that's shifts in higher ed, demographic shifts that are occurring. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I always close these out by, by asking, you know, what you're streaming, what you're listening to, what you're watching, what you've read recently that stood out. It, it may not have anything to do with management and leadership and org behavior. Maybe it's just the Mandalorian, which I would imagine you have watched the latest four episodes of that. Right, sir? Yes, absolutely. And the crown, which ah. I'm telling you, I, I don't, I, I, I found myself now watching documentaries and reading up on you know the queen and her reign and what a unique position oh, for that decades. that is the sovereign and the the constitutional separation in the, in the monarchy in between the sovereign and the elected leader i it's it's just absolutely fascinating and 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 to see historically you know i had read previously about thatcher and the queen and but to see it play out, it was just—it was just absolutely fascinating. You know, that's that's one of my favorite films. It's uh, the Queen. Have you ever watched that film? Mm -hmm. That's a great film from a just the contextual leadership challenges and and how maybe context is moving by. Because if you think about what she has experienced over her lifetime, I mean, are are we on our fifth or sixth decade? of her reign. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, she's met every American president since I, I forget who <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ever. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so I have one for you. Have you watched the Queen's Gambit? No. Michael Stratton. On Netflix? Yeah. Queen's on Netflix. Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Prioritize it. Please, please, please. And we have not finished the Mandalorian. We are going through them again with, with uh, kind of to make sure we're up to date with the next four. So yeah, no, that that's brilliant. That, Anything hey, else? Any other hot tips, sir? Podcasts, books. You know, I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm not sure if this helps. Well, probably hurts you. I guess depends. I don't have that much capital in the podcast world, but yeah. uh, I've never been a podcast fan. I don't know what. <laughs> not yet. Uh, not yet. Not yet. But Broke I mean, I. I mean, I honestly, I'm. I love NPR, and so I remember growing up listening to Car Talk and. Yeah. And so they, I do actually think they have a podcast now where they re, they replay old episodes. Probably, obviously. So, um, might have to might have to check that out. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, I had not been a huge listener of podcasts myself, but especially with commutes, it started to mm. become much more into my kind of entering into my day to day, and just some fascinating conversations with mm. incredible people that have really drawn me in. And so, I don't know, I've kind of started to love the space. And maybe that's what, you know, there are a lot of folks you know, who went from reading to the books on tape to now podcasts. And maybe yeah. I never was a books on tape guy because I never had <laughs> that much of a long commute, but maybe- I can't do the books on tape either. I, I find my mind wanders, right? Yeah, and then I yeah. at least that podcasts are shorter <laughs> focused bits, well, but- Michael Stratton, thank you so much for the work that you do with thank you for this opportunity. Uh, any number of different organizations. You're out there leading. I think your two foundational components are solid. That's wonderful. Thank you, awesome. sir. You too. Thank you. I kind of did my post 
show recap during the podcast. I think that might be a first. But just to summarize real quick, collaboration, resources, getting out of our silos, and making sure that we have solid relationships to back all of that. Michael, thanks for the work that you do. You're leading. You're leading in very, very difficult times. You're leading in two very, very important organizations, the Management and Organizational Behavior Teaching Society, a wonderful organization for listeners to check out. And you can do so by looking to the show notes. They do an incredible job of helping educators be better. And it doesn't matter what type of educator you are. I think you can learn something at MOBTS. And then Georgia College, helping that institution chart its course for the future and thrive. So incredibly important. Michael, thanks for the work that you do, sir. I hope all of you listeners enjoyed this conversation today. Uh, Wherever you are in the world, have a wonderful day. Take care and be well. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.